of, of beginnings. You know, we've got Genesis as the beginning of the creation, and Matthew as the beginning of the new creation. Um, so this is like the New Testament book of Genesis. In fact, he starts out with the record of the genealogy, or the Genesis of Jesus. Uh, it's, it's the book of the origin of Jesus, who starts the new creation, just as Genesis started the old creation. Um, and all four of the Gospels start in a different way. Matthew starts with genealogy. Mark starts with prophecy. Luke starts with history. And John starts with like a hymn of praise to the Word. So they all start in different ways and, and approach this differently. But I want you to look at what Matthew does here. And starting with the genealogy. Uh, we need to read this. Uh, so somebody read 1-1 to 1-17. Abraham was the father of uh, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. <coughs> Ram was the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz and by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David the king. David was the father of Solomon by Bathsheba, who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Jos and Ammon the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the de deportation to Babylon. After the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah became the father of Shealtiel and Sheotil the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Abihud, and Abihud the father of Elakim. Elakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliad. Eliad was the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathan, and Mathan the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born, who was called the Messiah. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. From David to deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Messiah, 14 generations. Okay. Now on first glance, that probably doesn't seem like the most exciting way to start the book of Matthew. But I think it is. What do you find interesting in this genealogy? Uh, right off the bat, the emphasis of Jesus, David, and Abraham, kind of the key, maybe some key figures. Yes, because he starts out with Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then he goes, Abraham was the father of Isaac, on down to David, and then finally to Jesus. So you really didn't need verse 1. You know, you could just start with Abraham and you know all that information. So he is really stressing Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In fact, if he's the son of David, 
is the son of Abraham. You know, you can't avoid that one. So why stress him to be the son of Abraham? He is the fulfillment of the promise that through Abraham's descendant all the families of the earth would be blessed. Is there more focus in this uh, genealogy on Abraham or on David? Well, he points out that uh, in verse 6 that David was the king. He doesn't say anything special about Abraham. Notice even the number of times David is mentioned here versus the number of times that Abraham is mentioned. David is mentioned two or three times more often um, and does seem to have more specific things said about him. Uh, I think David is maybe the greater focal point. And he is called the king, so that gives you an emphasis on you know, him and, and who he was. You don't find that about the other kings even in the list, just David. Why would it be important to emphasize David and the fact that David was the king? Because of Second Samuel 7. The promise God made to David, saying he would establish his house forever and promise to send his Israel. Absolutely. Jesus is a king after the descendant of David. You know, he's, he's the fulfillment of David's kingship. Now, it's also interesting. He sums up these uh, generations into, into groups of how many? Fourteen. Fourteen. There's 14 from here to here, 14 from here to here, 14 from here to here. Why 14? I mean, to get to 14 even, we know in some places in the king list he's skipping generations. We know that. So why, why even do that so you can come out to 14, 14, 14? Well, if, here's, here's a couple of things. Maybe we should look at the 2 times 7 idea. You know, 14 would be a multiple of 7. But also, David's name is the 14th name, that 14th entry in this. And the name David, if you use you know, a numbering system, has his, his, the numerical equivalent of his name is 14. So there seems to be, even by the structure of this, an emphasis on David all the way around. He is he's the son of Abraham, but I'll tell you what, he is the son of David because he is, you know, the fulfillment of David's kingship. All right, what else is interesting about this genealogy? That it's uh, Joseph's genealogy. Uh, yeah, it is. Um, as compared to, is it Luke's, right? That's I don't know. There's some no. debate about that. So I'm not sure how to divide that up. Uh, it probably is Joseph's here from, from the way it looks in verse 16. 
but it's possible Luke's was following a different route. I'm okay. not sure. Uh, this doesn't seem real clear at this point. What else is interesting about this? Mention some of the wives and not just the men. Mention some women. You wouldn't normally expect women to be in a genealogy, would you? Which women are mentioned? Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Tamar. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. And actually, it doesn't mention Bathsheba, does it? Well, it does. Yes. But uh, let me see here. Isn't that in an interpolation? Or is that a. Yes. Huh. That's the New American Standard for you. Mm -hmm. Normally, you'd expect this out of the ESV or the NIV or whatever. You'd notice what it literally is in the margin, her of Uriah. It does not in the text originally have Bathsheba. It has her of Uriah, or Uriah's wife. It's not in the New American Standard. Depends on the edition, then. Not mine. Are you serious? Well, Bathsheba's name isn't listed. In mine, it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 95 update. I don't know what I got here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What verse it? Yeah, I have the yeah. updated in the new works. Now, do you have the old one? Mm -hmm. Yep. It just says Bathsheba who had been the wife of Uriah. Yeah, mine has Bathsheba who had been the wife of Uriah. But it's better without that. It's one of these cases where you wish they'd just tell you what's in the original. You know, <coughs> she who had been the wife of Uriah. It does not actually mention the name in the original. Uh, and you, got, you got the ESV, anybody? Does it do the same thing? ESV mentioned Bathsheba? Yes. It doesn't mention Bathsheba. Oh, yeah, it does. It, no, it doesn't. Well, it's, oh, <laughs> and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. All right. Strike one one up for the ESV on that one. Yeah, they the Newark standard should not have Bathsheba. But anyhow, so you've got four women. You've got Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah. Now, why mention these four women? I can think of three good reasons. They were important. <laughs> okay. Well, most women are. <laughs> they were foreigners? That's one thing. What do these women have in common? Well, Tamar was what? A ra racially national. <clears throat> Canaanite, and Rahab was a Canaanite, and Ruth was, and Uriah, the only one who's actually mentioned by name in that, was the was a Hittite. Now, I don't know about Bathsheba, I think she was probably a Jew, but he doesn't mention Bathsheba's name, he mentioned the wife of Uriah, you know, who was a Hittite. So that stresses that Jesus is the savior of the Gentiles. You know, there were Gentiles in his lineage. You know, you wouldn't necessarily think that, but he was not a pure Jew. Uh, there was foreign blood in Israel's own royal household. That's kind of interesting to know. But there's another thing or two these people have in common, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and the wife of Uriah. Married more than once. 
Yeah. There seemed to be some scandal associated with most of them. Remember Tamar's situation? Who did she have her children with? Her father. Her ex-father-in-law. Yeah. That was a real edifying story. Uh, you know, taught us a lot, but whoa, you wouldn't want to copy that. Uh, you know. That was 38, Genesis 38. Um, Rahab, remember her uh, claim to fame? She was a harlot. She was a harlot. Uh, the wife of Uriah. Well, remember what she did. Yeah, she had an affair with David and all that stuff. Ruth is the only one that I, I'd say you don't really have some hint of scandal with her. But but maybe for three of the four to be, you know, kind of questionable shows you that Jesus is for all people, even scandal-ridden people, even people who've done horrible things. You know, Jesus, have <laughs> you ever noticed in the Gospels how Jesus always seems to defend the wrong kind of people? <laughs> you know, he's never defending our kind. He's always defending, oh, like who? What kind of people does Jesus seem to want to defend? The tax collectors. He seemed to have a thing for them. And the children. The children, you're right. And the sinners. And the poor people. Poor people, it's true. Sick people, yes. Tallest person in John. Okay, I'm thinking of another class. Demon possessed. Demon possessed, but I'm thinking of another class. It, it's kind of weird how Jesus was, but but he there's two or three times when Jesus will he's, he gets a barb in here there and yonder about the attitude toward this group. Told a parable where this group was a hero, Samaritans. You notice how he every once in a while sticks a Samaritan in there, you know, like telling the parable of the good Samaritan. He didn't have to make this is a parable. He didn't have to make this guy Samaritan. You know, you wonder why he did that. And then, then you know, the text in Luke 17, the one who turned back the leper, who turned back to give thanks, specifically notice in the text, notes in the text, he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus, Jesus liked the outcasts. And the other thing is, these were women. And, of course, Jesus is not bound by, by gender, uh, you know, discrimination. So Jesus was, was the savior of... You know, all races, all genders, and all moral backgrounds. I think that's cool. What else strikes you in this genealogy? You're whittling down on my list. It mentions the deportation to Babylon. Yes, in fact, notice carefully the divisions... You can look at him in, in, in 17. He divides this into three groups. And what do you see at the, you know, kind of at the dividing points between groups? What are the dividing points? David and the deportation. All right. And what do you know about David? Well, what do you know about David in verse uh, 6? He was the king. So you have the idea, you know, the first section comes down to David who became king. Then the next section comes down to where? No king. Yes, exactly. The deportation 
which is the time when they lose the kingship. And then the next section comes down to Jesus. Jesus, in which the kingship was restored. So those dividing points seem to be critical points in the kingship, uh, kingship situation of Israel. I suspect there's some purpose behind that. Again, we're, we're, you know, not too many more things I've got. But anybody else find something else? There's a couple more things I'll notice. There were a lot of kings. What about this? In verse 1, this is the genealogy of? Jesus Christ. Now, if it was the genealogy of anybody else, what would you expect? The descendants. The descendants. You know, the genealogy of, of... you know, this guy, well, he begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so, who begat so-and-so. This one goes the wrong direction. You know, normally genealogies cite their descendants. Here, the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus does what? Cites his ancestors. Because Jesus is the focus of history. His ancestors depended on him for their significance. You know, normally... You know, you kind of depend on your forefathers for your significance. But really, the whole point of this genealogy was come down to Jesus. He's the vocal point. Jesus culminates Israel's history. He's he's the high point of the history. So the, the genealogy is done backwards from what most any other genealogy would be would be. Then one more thing I'll notice with you. In verse 16 and 17, what does he call Jesus? The Christ. The Christ, or the Messiah. And that's such an emphasis. We'll see that again in verse 18, and right on down through. Jesus is the promised Messiah. The anointed one that, that... that we knew was coming. And one of the things you're going to see all through these next couple chapters is a great deal of emphasis on the fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is the promised Messiah. And you plot out his life and you just see Scripture after Scripture being fulfilled in Jesus. All right, that's probably good enough for what I've got. you got comments or questions on this genealogy. All right, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. 
Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with the child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph arose from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took her as his wife, and kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Okay. Here's the birth of Jesus. Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, were in what kind of relationship? Engaged. Yes, but even stronger. They had a betrothal, which was like a binding contract. They were not married, but they were in a binding engagement. For us, you can get engaged and disengaged however often you want to. But for them, while they were not married, they couldn't break that contract without getting a divorce. And what happened to Mary? She was found to be a child by the Holy Spirit. Wow! That's an amazing thing. The Holy Spirit has such a key role in the life of Jesus. We'll see a number of passages that show that as we go through Matthew. And so, I mean, this is just a totally different way of being with child. It's the Holy Spirit who's brought that child to her womb. Of course, what is Joseph thinking? And what's he going to do? Yes. But, but not make a public deal about this. He's going to plan a quiet divorce. He's a righteous man himself. He had had no premarital uh, involvement. But clearly she has. But rather than make some public scandal out of her, he'll just quietly put her away. Uh, he, he, he wants to do right by her, even though she hasn't done right by him, apparently. I mean, can you fault Joseph for thinking this? <laughs> I mean, come on. She's got a child. She's with a child. Something happened, and it wasn't Joseph. You know, so it's normal. Well, what stops him from doing that? Yeah. And what does the angel tell Joseph? She'd been telling the truth, and uh, her child is from the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't be afraid to take her as a wife. Yeah. Wow. What an amazing thing to find out. You know, you don't exactly have categories, you know, to even think about that. Notice he says, Joseph, son of David. One more time, he stresses the fact, Jesus comes from David. Joseph is the son of David. And uh, the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus had to be both human and divine. And that was the way that that happened. And he gives emphasis to the names of Jesus. What's his name going to be in verse 21? Jesus. Jesus, which means what? Savior. Yeah, Savior, because he's going to save his people from their sins. Now, they were looking for a Messiah to save them. From what? Yeah, from their arch enemies, from their captors. 
Jesus is going to save them too, but not the way they were expecting, but from their sins. This son of David is not going to conform to popular expectation about the Messiah. He was going to save his people from their sins, therefore call him Jesus. What else was he to be called? Which means? God with us. God with us. Jesus was going to be God in human flesh, which I think the whole idea of the Holy Spirit causing Mary to have a child is the idea that this is a unique child. This child doesn't have a human father. The, the, the child was brought to Mary's womb by the Holy Spirit. I, I don't understand how that worked. I have no idea how that worked. But I know that we needed a unique event because Jesus was a unique person. He was the God-man. You know, he was human and divine. And we just don't have a way of even thinking about that. You know, this was God coming as a man. God with us. Isn't that amazing? You know, who would have ever thought God would have wanted to become a man? You know, that's kind of a humiliating thing for someone like God. And yet, because of his love for us, that's exactly what God did. So, the beginning of the book stresses the idea of God with us. Now, look at the very last verse of Matthew. What does Jesus say in the last verse of Matthew? I'll be with you always. The book of Matthew starts with God with us, and then Jesus says, I'll be with you always. Always, what a tremendous blessing to see that. And there's a couple times in the middle of the book where it's going to also mention the presence of God with us. Where Jesus is, God is. Because Jesus perfectly represents God. God uh, represents uh, God. And, and so, for God to become a man and to dwell with us, it's like, name me another religion. Where, where God, or whatever their deity is, was willing to humble himself and embrace our pain and suffer with us. That just doesn't happen in other religions. So that's really cool, really amazing. And, and he cites the, the words of scripture uh, in, in verse 23 from Isaiah 7:14. And uh, if you really press the words of Isaiah 7.14, this is a reference to Jesus. Comments? I guess Joseph didn't have any previous uh, warning at all about this. <laughs> this is all news to him. Or Mary, for that matter. Well, remember in Luke, Gabriel appeared to her, tells her what's going on. This is really, this is unusual things. And so Joseph awoke, and Mary's Mary. But what did he do with her in verse 25? Kept her a virgin. Yes. Until... 
Now, if he kept her a virgin until she had Jesus, what does that imply for after? That he didn't. Yeah, he had normal relations with her after. That's the implication. The Catholics teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. She was always a virgin. This passage says she was until she gave birth. It's probably good that he did. It just really makes it to where there can be no doubt about the origin of Mary's child. She had not been with any man when she gave birth. Not even her husband. Jesus have brothers? He did. Hmm. Were they also from the Holy Spirit then? <laughs> well, you know the Catholic dodge on that would be that the Bible sometimes uses brother in other senses. You know, Ananias would come to Saul and say, Brother Saul. Or and he says, Your mother like and your brothers. Yes. Who are my mother and my brothers? Well, those that are not really my brothers are those are my brothers. No, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. That I make think any sense at all. it doesn't, but that's their dodge. That's what they'll say. They will use passages where I don't doubt it. you know two people that maybe are just relatives mm -hmm. will say, "Oh, he's my brother," or you know people have a spiritual connection or a, a, a national connection, and they're, they're, the word "brothers" used because we'll use the word "brother" sometimes in a non-family sense. Uh, but normally the word brother is used for a family relationship and in the context where it's used with Jesus' brothers, it seems very clearly that's what it's saying. Does it mention James as the brother of Jesus? Yes, in Matthew 13 but, it does. But none now, of the other apostles were ever called his brother, not even the one that he loved. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't know, Let's see. Yeah, James doesn't mention being a brother of Jesus in the book of James. But but in Matthew 13, it lists the four of the names of the brothers, and James is one of them. And James the Lord's brother is mentioned a couple times in the epistles. Galatians 1, for example. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of reasons to believe that Mary was not perpetually a virgin. She had other children. Um, there was... It's, the myth has grown up, and so then they try to defend it. Well, I mean, the whole concept of worshiping her is ridiculous anyway from the scripture. And then to take it to another level to m make her into something she wasn't so that they have more reason to worship her. <laughs> yes, but everybody knows that, you know, a mother has influence over her son. And if you wanted to influence, you know, somebody, you might go to their mother and talk to their mother because a son will listen to his mother. And, you know, if you can talk to Mary, she's just, by being a woman, she's more approachable. So you feel closer if you approach Jesus through Mary. She also shows up in toasted cheese sandwiches and everything else. <laughs> toasted cheese sandwiches? Have you never... <laughs> People they, are constantly seeing Mary oh, images, okay. images in okay. everything, <laughs> and then they're selling them on eBay. It looks like Mary. No, Mary is Mary's appeared in a lot of uh, interesting. Lots places. of things. Yeah, but but that those are the arguments they make. That's that's the approach that's taken. Which really, the more you see the approach they take, the more serious it is. You know, this whole idea that you can you can get to Jesus' heart easiest through Mary is just not at all biblical and the things Jesus said were trying to 
forestall that, that there was not some special influence that Mary had over him. She couldn't even get him to come home. <laughs> right, you're exactly right. Or rather, he influenced hers, would you? You're exactly right. It's revealed. But, but that story sounds good. You know, we have that desire to connect with some, some softer version of God. And, you know, that's also historically... They had gods and goddesses. They were converting the pagans, but they still needed some female god to identify with. And so they sort of transformed Mary into that. You know, it's, it's, it's blasphemy when it's all said and done. But knowledgeable Catholics will defend that strenuously. And, you know, basically Mary uh, was always a virgin. She, what, she was immaculately conceived their view is that everyone's born with the guilt of Adam's sin, but Mary was born without the guilt of Adam's sin. She never sinned. She wasn't even born in sin like everybody else did. Therefore, she didn't pass original sin to Jesus. And Mary was bodily taken up to heaven, the bodily assumption of Mary. All of those doctrines have been um, officially declared by the Pope, by the Catholic Church. Generally speaking, most religious Catholics also believe that Mary is co-redeemer, and uh, co-mediator, co and many of them believe she's co-redeemer. But those doctrines have not been officially endorsed by the Catholic Church. But he kept her a virgin just until she gave birth to, to Jesus. Comments and questions on all of that? All right, uh, we might not get through all this, but let's go ahead and read chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king?